1 through 6 is a, a familiar and a renowned portion of Scripture, um, but I pray and, and I trust the Lord that uh, you will read it with uh, new eyes and a, and, a, and a heart that not only knows Psalm 23, but will meet the shepherd of Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, <clears throat> King David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let us ask the Lord for help one more time before we proceed. Holy Father, precious Savior, living King, we come to you not knowing how much we need you, not not understanding the depth of our longing for you. We thank you that you have been faithful in 2016, and we trust that you have purchased another year of faithfulness, of eternity, uh, of knowing you. Thank you, Lord, for your word, where you have revealed yourself to us. And as a church, help us to uh, continue to consume your word, for you are the bread of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When I was very young, uh, mother and father uh, sat me down one time, and they just told me, their strategy. They told me their purpose of uh, leading and parenting me. And they just told me, hey, the reason that we're so hard on you, the reason that we push you and we prod you is because one day we're not going to be here anymore and we're just preparing you for the world. We're preparing you for what's to come. And I've, I discovered that day that the goal of parenting or the agenda of parenting is to make the child self-reliant, to make the child self-sufficient. So that when the parent's unable to lead or, or help, the child can be fine, the child will be okay. But in today's passage, King David shows us a different style of leading, leading or different model of parenting. And today, King David seems to tell us that God's goal is not to make you self-sufficient. God's goal is not to make you self-reliant. God's goal is not to make you independent. In today's psalm, in the original language, it begins with the word God, and it ends with the word God. I should do it like this, right? God and God, right? It begins with God, and it ends with God. And what is he telling us? That this is his declaration of utter dependence. His declaration of utter 
and absolute dependence. You know, our country is built on the declaration of independence. But not so in the gospel, not so in Christ. It is not about this individualistic, rogue, solo Christianity. Or even this idea that we can ever have it all together or put together. Now the Bible says that David, King David, is a man after God's own heart. In 2 Samuel 15.30, uh, it, it talks about that. That uh, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 13.14, it talks about how David is a man after God's own heart. God says that this man is after my own heart. And I always wondered, how can David, such a wretched human being, um, yes, he did a lot of honorable and noble things, but he was also a wretched human being at the same time, just like us, and God claims that he is a man after my own heart. And I realized that it's not because he was noble or because he was spectacular or because he was a prayer warrior necessarily, but because God could reach David at any time. God could reach David at any given time in his triumph and in his tragedies and everything in between. God could reach him. In today's passage, David is writing this psalm in, in, a, in the, maybe the worst time of his life. You know, sometimes when we read Psalm 23, we impose our own picture of where and how and what David was doing or where he was writing it. But David was writing this psalm when he was being chased. He was running for his own life like a fugitive. But he was not running from King Saul. Uh, He was running from his own son, Absalom. His own son, his flesh and blood, was trying to wear the crown. But in order to wear the crown, in order to be the chief and the king, he had to chop off the head. And I I have family problems. I'm sure you got family problems, but this is family problems, right? (laughs) This, This is a family problem, right? This is a family feud like none other. It's unprecedented, perhaps. And so David is running for his own life from his own flesh and blood, Absalom. And he has the audacity, the unflinching hope in God as he writes this psalm. How could David write a psalm of loyal adoration and praise during a time like this? Well, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. David claims throughout these six verses that God is a good shepherd. And David knows something about shepherding, right? If you know your Bible, uh, David was a good shepherd. He would battle lions. He would battle anything to protect his sheep. And he claims that God is a good shepherd, and he promises a personal relationship with those who depend on him. That God is a good shepherd, and he promises a personal relationship with those who depend on him. And here are three things that David promises about this good shepherd. And the first thing he promises is that he is my provider. He is a provider. The second thing that he promises is he's my protection and healer. And the last thing, that he is my purpose and meaning in life. This good shepherd promises to be my personal provider, my personal protection and healer, and my personal purpose and meaning in life. Well, let's look at how God is provider, how this good shepherd is our provider. 
I want to reread the first few verses of Psalm 23. David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have it all. There's no room for anything else. He is my all in all. I treasure and I cherish him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He's my provider. And the interesting thing is, as I alluded to, in order for God to be provider, you have to be needy. You have to recognize your need. When I first read the psalm as a young Christian, I was offended. I was offended by the psalm because I knew that sheep were stupid creatures. They're dumb. And I said, why would God compare me to a sheep? That's messed up, God. I'm the pinnacle of your creation, right? I'm the creme de la creme. I'm the masterpiece of of all your workmanship. And you're going to compare me to a sheep? Right? You can compare me to a sheep. And I was feeling a little bit lousy. But as I thought and I meditated a little bit more, I realized that God compares us to sheep, not because we're stupid, because we're not, but because we are needy. We're so needy. I am needy. And I know sometimes we get irked and we get agitated by needy people. But that's what the gospel, that's what this grace of God is all about. It's about people who are really needy. I try to pretend like I'm not needy. I do. And that's my sin. And if you know me well, that's my sin. But God is saying that he is your personal provider. But how can he provide if you don't need, if you don't think you need? And, And in order for God to be a provider, you have to recognize him as your shepherd. You know, sometimes we think that uh, we have to, you know, make Jesus our Lord and Savior. And there is a certain essence of that in the Christianity. That you, it is a decision that you have to make uh, a commitment or surrender to God. But, you know, if he is your shepherd and you are the sheep, if I'm the sheep and he's the shepherd, I don't think it's a matter of opinion. <laughs> he is my shepherd. He is Lord. He is king. And I need him. I need him at all times. Martin Lloyd-Jones says something very interesting in one of his books. He says that there is no greater sin than not to see your need of Christ. There is nothing more abhorrent to God than that men and women should think that anything about him, anything about them, is sufficient to commend them to God. There is no greater sin than to refuse the Son of God in a sacrificial atoning death. End of quote. Frankly, I think I need more money. Uh, Frankly, I think I need more time. I need more space. I need more gifts or talents. I need more character. And for David, he could say, I need my family back. I need my kingdom. I need my crown. I need my bed. I need my respect and dignity. But he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is a crazy claim. 
He's being chased by his own son. And he says, but I need the Lord. Not um, to hear I'm, I'm proud of you from a parent or um, to be called father again by his son. But that he needs the Lord. That he needs the Lord. And I don't know uh, much about parenting. I don't know anything about fatherhood. But I know one thing, you know, if you fail at home, you have failed. If you have failed at home, David was a wonderful king, but he was a lousy father. And if you have failed at home, my friends, you, you failed in life. And David is still calling out to God, his shepherd. And he knows that only he can provide. and he, Only he can restore his soul. Secondly, you see David claiming that God is his protection and his provider. In verses 4 through 5, David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want to pause there, and I want you guys to notice something. There's a transition uh, between verses uh, 1 through 3, and then verse 4. There, there is transition after verse 3. In verses 1 through 3, King David speaks of God in third person. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. But when, it, when the lights go out in verse 4, it moves from third person to second person. No longer he, but in this valley, you are with me. Why is this? Why is there a transition from third person to second person? Because when the lights go out and there is no hope, God draws near. He draws near to the brokenhearted. He draws near to the people who have wasted 2016. He draws near to the bankrupt and the desolate. He draws near, even when you cannot. Even when you cannot draw near, he draws near. And that's why David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the shepherd is leading him through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, there I am safe, and I fear no evil. Not because I'm tough, rugged, and raw, but because, God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this rod was an instrument of discipline, and the staff was an instrument of comfort to the sheep. And God disciplined and comforts in this valley. As one pastor said, he, he afflicts the comfortable, and he comforts the afflicted. And this is what David says about this good shepherd, that he protects me, that he gives me a peace that transcends all understanding. Not only is he my protection in the trials and tribulations of life, whatever that may be, for him it was family issues, right? It was his son. He had failed as a father. David also claims in verse 5, you prepare a table before me, In the presence of my enemies, 
You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runneth over, or my cup overflows. David says that not only is this good shepherd my protection, he is my healer. Now, when I was looking at verse 5, I thought it was confusing. Because if God is going to throw you a birthday party, if God is going to throw you a homecoming or a big shindig, I would want God to invite all my favorite friends, right? Uh, Pastor Larry talked about this a few weeks ago, right? <laughs> At the birth of Christ, all these strangers, right? You know, that's weird. And I was thinking the same thing. God, you're throwing a party for King David. You're throwing a party for your son, David. Why in the heck? What are you doing? Why would you invite all his enemies? All his haters, all his naysayers, all the pundits. He invites all the people that laugh and pray on his downfall. This is what God is doing. He says, you prepare a table before me, not in the presence of my favorite friends and my family, but in the presence of my enemies. This is my conclusion, how God is healer in David's life. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And as David is walking with God, and God is walking with David, he is walking in the light. And as you come into the light, as he is in the light, sometimes that is more scarier than the darkness. To be in the light, to be exposed, to be known, is a scary thing. It's a terrifying thing. It's horrific to be known. And I know we all think about, oh, I want to be known. But think about it again. (laughs) Do you really want to be known? Right? And David is before his enemies. And you know our enemies know us. That's why they hate us. (laughs) They know us very well. Sometimes there's a thin line between love and hate, right? And, and the people that hate us now were once our best friends, okay? And David is before his enemies. God has gathered them. How was he healer in this moment? He says, before my enemies, you are the lifter of my head. See, this oil is unfitting for a sheep. It's expensive. Oil is very expensive. And David says that you take this oil and you anoint my head with it. You anoint my head with oil. And then he says his heart explodes. There is sheer ecstasy because of God's affirmation and validation before his enemies. We don't need validation and we don't need we don't need that kind of exaltation necessarily in front of our friends because they'll do it for us. But it's before the people that are opposed to us, that want to crush us or wish for our downfall, that before them, God says, he's mine. He belongs to me. I want you to think about your life for a second. The places in 2016 where you've been hurt, there have been relational breakdown. There are people that, it could be your mom and dad. It could be your family members. You love them so much, but they've hurt you so much. And God wants to heal you there. 
But you've got to come into the light. You have to admit your need. You have to admit that you're tired and you're weary and you long for reconciliation. You've got to come to the table on God's terms, not on your terms. And that's what I see in David's life. Everything's on God's terms. Right? How God provides, how God protects, and how God heals. Everything is on the good shepherd's terms. It is not on David's terms. It is on his terms. And as Western Americans, we don't really like doing things on other people's terms, do we? We don't really like it. But David was comfortable with things being done on God's terms. What about you? Even healing is done on God's terms. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, and it's freaky, and it's just nonsensical. we got to have faith there. Sometimes there needs to be confrontation, healthy confrontation. And this is what David is experiencing in his heart. I don't think it's happening literally, but it is happening in his mind, in his soul, and in God's strength. He is looking to God as his ultimate justifier and justification. Lastly, uh, we see that in David's personal relationship with God and and how he also depends on him, that uh, in in verse 6, David claims that he is my purpose and my meaning in life. My purpose and my meaning in life. David says in verse 6, Certainly or surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. (sighs) Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. God pursues me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, this Lord, this God is my purpose and meaning in life. He doesn't bring me purpose and meaning in life. He doesn't just offer me a wonderful plan for my life. He is my purpose and my life. He is Savior. He is Lord. He is God. And David says, he is my purpose and my life. This is a wonderful statement because the bad news is if you find your purpose and meaning in life in anywhere but God, you will lose it eventually. It will expire like food in the refrigerator, like anything, everything ends, but not so with God, not so in Christ. Nothing ends in him. He offers us purpose and meaning in life. See, God does not offer life and meaning and purpose in your job. He does not offer meaning and purpose even in the new year. Or family, or romance, or success. You know why? Because it is not there. It is not there. He cannot offer hope and life in those places because it is not there. It is only in him. David is telling us that home for him is not an address. It is not a zip code. 
Home is a relationship. And he, he was sleeping in caves and in holes during this time in his life. And David is saying, I am at home with the Lord. Wherever he is, I am. And I am at home with him. He is my purpose and meaning in life. This is such a beautiful psalm, and I know we've heard it so many times. But I want you guys to know that we only have this promise, and we only have this relationship because many centuries later, the shepherd that David spoke about became flesh and dwelt among us. David did not know much, much theology as, as we do. He did not know much Bible as we do, but he had a personal relationship with this God. And when Jesus came to this earth as the good shepherd, he walked through the valley. He walked through our valley of the shadow of death. But when he walked this valley... There was no provider, and there was no protection, and there was no healer, and there was no peace, and it did not feel like there was much meaning or purpose behind it. But he walked through this valley, and he carried the cross to Calvary, and he was abandoned. He is the Good Shepherd. Because he lays his life down for the sheep. And all those who depend on him today, you can call him Father, you can call him Lord, and you can call him Good Shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus says that, I am the Good Shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. They know my voice. And I will call them, and we will be one flock. And there will be one shepherd. Do you have a personal relationship with God? Well, you may say, yes, I do. But let me ask you another question. Have you experienced a personal relationship with God? Have you all the things we know about God, have we experienced it? Because what little David knew about God, he experienced it. And now we have absolute full revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Have we experienced the good shepherd? Will we follow him? Will we let him provide and protect and heal us and be our purpose and meaning in life? Let us pray.